Fern, how you doing? Hey, doing good, brother. How you doing? Doing fantastic. So let's get straight into it. First and foremost, welcome to well, uh, Scale Up with Harmony. So the concept and the premise of the show is really helping out and sharing our expertise and really looking at scaling up our businesses with harmony. My definition of harmony versus uh, balance is that you don't have to have everything 100%. So there's three different areas where I like to focus on is health, relationships, and business. So you want to start your business, not start, sorry, you want to scale up your business and then you want to make sure that you don't sacrifice any aspect of your life. So welcome to the show. What I want to hear from you is tell us a little bit more about Trent. Who was Trent growing up uh, before we get into the meat of it? Yeah, Aris. Well, first, just thanks for having me on the show, man. I'm really excited to be here. But uh, yeah, basically me starting up, where did I come from? I mean, I was kind of born, I was born deaf and uh, had a lot of challenges early on in my life. And uh, I think that's what really crafted who I am today. And, um, you know, throughout that journey, I was just, thank God for my parents and my teachers helped me get through it. I was going through school my entire life in like ESL, English second language, even though I'm born here in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and it was, a, you know, a challenge for sure. That kind of led me into getting into like a video games for like, um, like my escape and honestly, if my kids wanted to play video games, I'm all for it because I think that's what got me to uh, really catch up in terms of speaking because I was on the mic with my friends and learning how to like like read and pronounce words all the time. And, uh, and that's how I kind of mastered the skills of what I know about uh, marketing, right? Because from there, I started making content about video games, built a brand around, uh, around it and uh, learned how to do social media marketing, which eventually took me to where I am today. So it all kind of stemmed from... Wow. That's a beautiful story, Trent. Thanks for sharing that, by the way. And uh, just quickly, how did you go from, how did that transition, I have so many questions, I don't even know where to start, but how did that impact who you are today? Let's start from there. So that upbringing, that childhood where you couldn't really eat, was it, were you fully deaf or was it like 80% or was it 100%? Yeah, I only had about 30% hearing in one of my ears and the other one, I was pretty much done. Okay. And um, we didn't know until like I was about five years old. My mom was quite naive to it and she kind of beats herself up about it still to this day when you talk to her about it because she thought I was just being cute and being like baby talk, like not really forming any proper words. And, um, you know, one day we're in the hospital, it wasn't even for me. I mean, the doctors, it wasn't even for me. And the doctor was listening to me talk to my mom and he couldn't understand me. And she was like, oh, you should be doing baby talk. Isn't that cute? <laughs> and he, he was like, this is concerning, actually. Let's right. go get his hearing checked. And then they did, and I was deaf. And so they had to go put tubes in my ears, and I uh, had that. And then from there, it was kind of just trying to trying to catch up. I was told I wasn't going to finish school and all that. And it kind of put some limiting beliefs on me right away. And I didn't really care about you know getting through anything, but I did obviously try. And I, like I said, I truly believe it is video games. It <laughs> plus my teachers that really got me yep. to kind of catch up. I was kind of forced into communicating and, you know, through typing, reading, talking, because I was wanting to play my addiction. <laughs> so, 
So you were heavy into video games. How was your life growing up as far as uh, social circles? Because, you know, kids typically we like hanging out with each other. I mean, it's really that's where we get our uh, social life and social beginnings, really. Were you more of a solo guy in the bedroom, in the basement or whatever, really on video game? Or were you, was there a little bit of interaction with uh, other kids and other activities and all that? Well, Aris, have you seen the South Park episode of everyone playing World of Warcraft in their ba basement? No. Have you seen that one? Okay, well, anyone who's in the audience has seen that episode of South Park. That was pretty much it. We're all back down there, and it's a group of us. Mom's bringing down the tater tots, and uh, we're gaming and stuff. So we did have moments like that, but I, I had a small social group, right? Luckily for me, my brother, big into video games as well, so I had him growing up as well. And... Um, he had a few friends too that were into it. And also I played like football. So I had some friends through there, but most of the time I preferred being alone and I loved just gaming. And eventually when I was around 17, 18 years old, I started building a following in the video games because of how good I was at it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make videos about this. And that turned into live streaming on about like well, me playing video games and after that, I learned a lot about social media marketing. So that really, like I said, crafted me. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, I was just always been kind of more of a lone wolf. So. Beautiful. So I love the transition you actually intentionally or not uh, put to the table as far as uh, social media following. Can you expand on that? Because I love to hear gradually about you are bringing video games, football, little social interaction, that big or not, but social media following and We'll slightly drive, dive into what you're up to today. So can you walk us through how social media came into play and how transitioned you transition into what you do today? Absolutely. I mean, for anyone even listening in the audience, they might be hearing this being like, oh, man, this guy's talking about video games. Look, your kid's playing video games right now. It could be a lucrative business for them. For me, I learned that skill and I built up an audience of 30,000 subscribers, 6 million views, all within about a couple of years. I got signed as a creator to BBTV, which is a huge, massive content creator network here in Vancouver. And that built an income for me around 17, 18 years old. And I was doing blending video games, right? And so I kind of just fell in there and I learned how to market myself, especially from the help of that content creator studio that signed me up. You know, they gave me a lot of advice was working with their teams their marketing teams. And, you know, I learned some valuable lessons about brand building early. And I look back now and I'm like, my God, I wish I would have listened to them even more. Like one of the things they were telling me is like, hey, you got to be putting out content even more than you are now, like videos every single day. And only now today am I seeing people actually acknowledging this and coming out saying, yeah, hey, business owners, you need to be putting out content every single day. Look. I was knowing about that 17, 18 years old and it wasn't through mine, not my, like my knowledge, it was passed on to me. And like, so like if you can, you know, find something like, like that, that just kind of draws you in your kids find something like that, go for it. I think because there's, as long as they're being productive and they're going to find some kind of success out of it. And I, I just, just kind of lucky to have that, that avenue. And that kind of led me, like I said today, because from there, I actually started a video production company. I went down that whole entrepreneur journey of startup failure, startup failure. I kind of left that gaming scene because I was like, I can go bigger. I can go bigger than this. 
And I was like, I'm going to do a video production company. And then, you know, it didn't really work out too well. Tried a few other things, had a few other startups. One cost me $40,000. <laughs> and then that kind of got me to now I have a social media marketing agency, full circle. Let's go. Right. And so that's my bread and butter. What I love to hear though, is I want to stick a little bit around you as a teenager playing, uh, you were heavy into video games from a parent's standpoint, you were obviously not a parent, but what kind of guidelines or what kind of direction support or not did you get from your parents? Because the reason why I'm posing these questions because a lot of folks in the audience may have kids who are into video games. Sometimes you don't know how to handle it. Sometimes you think it's a waste of time. Sometimes you want to encourage it. Like, how do you channel that to make sure that you touched on it a little bit by uh, mentioning the fact that, um, yeah, yeah, that you, you were productive at the same time. So if you can share some of the, the guidance that you have from your parents to make sure that it is channeled properly, that'll be helpful. Yeah. I mean, my parents looked at it like this, right or wrong. You know, it did keep me out of trouble. So they actually encouraged me. Hey, you want that new gaming setup? Hey, let's help you get that. Hey, you want this for your, you want this new video game? Go get it. They wanted me to stay out of trouble. And I never got involved with anything like, like any kind of drug use or any kind of alcohol because I was so dialed in on my games. <laughs> Okay, and beautiful. That was their kind of their kind of motive behind it. And for me, people just kept pushing me on like like online being like, "Hey, you got to make like videos on how to do play like you're playing, like how like and I was like making some of the the best like kind of content out there for what I was doing and people were just drawn into it. And um so my parents just kind of allowed me to to kind of get sucked in that way for those reasons not because they saw me being productive. On top of that, I was basically getting a six-figure, over six-figure job just passed down down to me, no matter what, I was getting it. And that was because my family is four generations of longshoremen, so people that work on the ports, and you make like 100 to like 200K a year, right? And I was given that ticket, family job, you got to know someone to get in. And lucky for me, like I said, born into it. And so I always knew I had that. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to like have fun. I'm going to try things along the way. And then when I get that down there, like I'm just going to do that. So that's actually why my first company failed. It wasn't because anything caused it to fail, like that video production company, it was because I finally got that ticket. And I was like, I'm dropping everything. See you later. Going to go down, work at the ports. And I did. And I'm like, man, this is not for me. This is hard stuff. And this is, even though I'm like a football player and, you know, I worked out, it was, it's different, man. It's a whole different thing. And it's dangerous as hell. I remember one of my first shifts down there, the foreman's like, hey, I think you should go back to doing computer stuff. And I was like super offended. I was like, what do you mean? I'm like four generations. And I look back, the guy just saw, saw the, what I had in me before I even really acknowledged it. And so, yeah, I love to hear just quickly the end of the story. So, what happened to that ticket? The fourth, the fourth generation. Did you pass it on, or what, what, what happened to that? I still have it because once you have it, you don't give it up. Oh, um, got it. you can't give it up. I just haven't been back in years. But okay. um, all my family's down there. My brothers, my cousins, everyone's down there. It's funny though. I kind of I go to their house, and uh, if I'm dressed up even slightly nice, because I'm just finished a meeting or something. 
they'll 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 flame me for it. Ah, oh, what are you doing, man? Why are you looking all like this? And like, because you know they're they're kind of rougher, right, around the edges. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, Okay, cool. So now let's fast forward a, a year today. So you mentioned you have a social media company. I also want to talk about your remote, uh, let's call it initiatives and support. So take it, take us wherever you want to, where, wherever you think is a good starting point for that conversation. Yeah. I mean, for me, I had a $40,000 startup. Why don't we start there? And that thing crashed and burned, which got me into social media marketing. Essentially, I've built, um, I don't know, if you're familiar with Twitch TV? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. So but for those who are not, what is it? Uh, Twitch TV is a live streaming platform and people like host their podcasts there. People do arts on there, but mostly it's a platform for people streaming video games. And that's what it really was intended for back in the day. Now I started on there right before it got bought out by Amazon for, I think it was like a billion dollars. <laughs> and yep. uh, I was on there just after it moved from Justin to, to Twitch. The name changed and I basically saw an opportunity where a lot of live streamers were not making ad revenue because Twitch was only giving you the ad portions of the ad revenue that was running on your broadcast if you were partnered with them and they made it incredibly difficult for you to get partnered with them and so it didn't matter if you had tens of thousands of views and so there was being all this money left on the table and I was one of those streamers. I couldn't get partnered with them. And I had a lot of, I had a big audience, man. And uh, I was like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this app that puts a banner underneath the streamer's broadcast that says, hey, you want to donate, but you don't have the funds, click here to support me. Because 80% of a streamer's revenue, streamer being someone that's on Twitch TV, is from donations. And so there's a big portion of the audience that can't even afford to do donate a dollar. So what we did was brought ads to everyone. And so through that banner, your audience can click it and it would broadcast an ad to you. And I would remember looking at some of the streamers who were partnered with us. They had audiences that were sitting in their broadcast for six hours, not even watching the broadcast, but watching ads just to support them. It was incredible, man. And so this thing was basically, we're giving out free money essentially, right? So it blew up overnight. It was just organic growth, 100,000 daily users. And we had 6,000 influencers on Twitch using it. And it was like nothing else. I was like flying all around the country and the States, rubbing shoulders, partying at mansions, people telling me like, yo, you made it, this is it. And um, I pretty much put all I had into it. And I remember just finishing up down at San Diego to a conference and they came back and Google had shut me down. And I was in the middle of trying to close a deal with Tencent and Verizon. And so I came back, shut down. And uh, unfortunately, I lost everything. I would have had to keep investing more to do a whole rebrand, start everything up from scratch. And I was like, I got nothing left, man. Like that was, that was it. I could have kept going. And I look back, failures are just when you quit. I quit on that. But I invested $40,000 and I got cold feet and I was like, I'm not, I can't keep going on that one. And so I went into a dark, dark time. And, and so that kind of brought me back to the ports. And I was like, right. That's beating my head against the truck I was driving one day. And then my mentor who became like, wasn't a mentor at the time, but called me saying, Hey man, you're really good at marketing. 
you're great at social media. You everything you kind of touch, you keep building it up. And so he said, Hey, I'll be your first client and start a business around a social media mark. And so I went grassroots and I just started doing that for his business. And from there, I just took off. And that's what got me to doing social media marketing. Basically, I thought, he's right. Why am I trying to do all these fancy things when I could just make a great living off doing what I know best? So I basically just leaning into my strengths even more. Absolutely. So social media marketing, I want to dive into your remote CEO company. Can you tell us how the transition went again? And more specifically, who was it for and what problem you solved for them? Because I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. I mean, this is really new for me, actually. The Remote CEOs Academy started basically in January. And I don't know what about you maybe, but like for me, I got a little bit of a rabbit brain. Like I see something and I'm like, oh, I got to do it. Oh, yeah. And I got to like really contain myself. Do you have that? You get an idea and you're like, I got to go. Yeah, I have that. Uh, I've had that for a long time, actually. What I'm trying to do now is I'm, I'm giving myself a time frame. Hey, let's do this for six months. Everything that comes out of it, I have a notepad. I put everything down and say, okay, when I'm done with this, if it doesn't work out, at least I have my next thing there. But but because before I would jump in left and right, left and right, but I couldn't sustain it. So I'm like, okay, let's do it for X amount of time and, you know, give my 100% there. Otherwise, I'll just go crazy, you know? I think that's the curse of the creative entrepreneur, man. I think that's I the so. curse of the creative entrepreneur. It's a blessing and a curse, right? And I experienced just like that, man. And it was all about just trying to contain myself. And it's such a challenge. Um, but finally, I built my agency to a place where it was self-sustained. I'm only working about like maybe five hours a week in it. Um, and we have a whole team and operations going at it. So I was like, wow, like I really want to help a lot of people do this because so many people don't know how to do this. I've entrepreneur people in my circle that had to take a vacation in two years. I get him to work in my academy and I have him break it down crying. Just the fact that they were able to get liber liberation through delegation. Like people are like foreign to the concept of delegation. It's mind blowing. And so that's a that's a big concept that we that we have in Remote CEO's Academy, which is we're going to help you acquire new leads because that's what everyone wants. New business, new business. But then we're gonna have you actually scale up by removing yourself. Okay, so basically we work in two parts. Basically, we're going to get that lead pipeline full so you can stop focusing on it so much because it really isn't where your attention should be too much. And then start building a team of people that are smarter than you because everyone doesn't really know this, but you're the biggest bottleneck in your business. But if we're talking to an audience with 10 or plus people, they might already be familiar with this, but no matter what, I even see where I'm bottlenecks in my bottle, in my business where I still need to remove me from still some parts of it. Like that's what we need to do as business owners is how can I build SOPs and have someone come in and do it for me and do it better. There's no point of you trying to go learn Facebook ads or YouTube ads when you're so foreign to it and you have an amazing skill set and something else. Go lean into that have someone brought in to do that for you. And so these are the concepts I'm like teaching and helping people in remote CEOs academy. It sounds like to me, I'm like, ah, oh, some people are going to think this is basic stuff. It's not like people don't understand how to operate a team, manage a team, 
I'm working with some people that I even have like five people working for them, but their headspace is completely gone. Cause, and if this is you and you're listening that everyone's coming to you with all their problems, put in a communication funnel. There should be a hierarchy of people that the communication funnels through before it even gets to you. That's something I put in probably a year ago and it's been a game changer for sure. So how I love to talk, you know, dive into this because for sure it's interesting. The first question that comes to mind is how do you deal with egos? Because a lot of times when you start our company is because it's like your baby, right? It could be because you love it, because you have a skill set. Maybe you're an engineer, you want to start your software company, maybe whatever the case may be. And now you're telling me to have to remove myself where I invested my emotions and time and everything in it. How would you deal with someone who'd be like, they would love they, 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 they love what it sounds like, but really when it comes down to it, removing themselves, it's like, you know, I've been, I've been holding this baby for like a couple of years now, and now you tell me to remove myself from it. How would you, um, how have you dealt with it if it happened or how you suggest dealing with it if it, if it happens? Right. You know, that's a fair question. And a lot of the people always come with that. It's like, I struggle to let go of this. This is my baby. Like, I know no one can do what I'm doing. Well, then unfortunately you're stuck. If you can't remember yourself, you're stuck. Cause here's the thing, you're building a business. And when building a business, you're building an asset. If you are an entrepreneur that is it's just you, or maybe you have some vendors or contractors that run around just taking your commands and you're doing, they're doing all the work. And then one day you want to go sell your company or whatever, you are not going to be worth shit to anyone, right? Why? Because if someone wanted to invest or buy that your business, they have to buy you. And if you die, the business is gone, okay? So you don't actually have an asset. If you don't have a team, you don't have SOPs, you don't have things all functioning, you do not have a business. Whereas if you had... A, a team working for you, systems in place, everything's kind of self-sustained. Someone can come in, someone can leave at any time without interrupting the ship. You have an asset, right? So if you were one business, if both businesses, like both those scenarios are making like $2 million, right? The person that it's self-sustained that maybe is not taking home as much because he has a big team, his business is still worth far more money. In some cases, four or five, 10x, right? Depending on the industry. So these are things that people aren't thinking of, right? You can decide, hey, I just want to keep more money in my pocket. I don't want a team. I want all the problems and stresses and all that and not sell your business one day. But I would much rather go with option number two, which is the team's running for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, I can exit whenever I want because I'm actually on paper way more wealthy that way. Than the other person. No, absolutely. Uh, I love to hear some of the biggest problems that you that your student clients come across when they're trying to make that transition from running the show themselves to you having uh, working on the team to come and take over their role. What are some of the challenges, the hurdle, the obstacle that uh, you typically come across? Man, the first thing that for I like the first thing that I kind of addressed right away for the academy was the fact that a lot of entrepreneurs don't even have the cash flow to hire locally. So like here in Vancouver, you know, minimum wage, someone fresh out of high school doesn't know which way's up, which way's down. You got to pay that person close to three grand a month. 
three grand. That's the federal law, man. Right. And so a lot of entrepreneurs can't even afford to hire unskilled labor. And so they don't even, even think of it as an option. And for the ones that do think of it as an option, they have that money. They're like, I don't want someone super unskilled like that. So they never even consider starting to delegate. So I learned the skill of actually hiring offshore. I like to go in the Philippines, but I got people all around the world working for me, but hire offshore. And I'm not talking about hiring through a virtual assistant agency. I'm not talking about going to Fiverr or Upwork. I'm saying learn the art form of hiring directly from the country. Okay. And then that way you can get your dollar to actually go 10 times further. And that way it makes delegation possible. It makes building a team possible. You want to talk about 10X your business? Oh, oh, 10X your business. Listen, 10X your business, take your labor offshore, right? The dollar will go 10 times further. Like I said, here in Vancouver, it's like 27, 2700 a month minimum wage. And then in the Philippines, it's 270, 10X, right? And when I did that and I learned that whole skill, I brought that as the first piece of the academy when we start building out your team is, hey, where are your funds like? Okay, look, you're going to be hiring offshore. I've had people cry in my academy where it's like, I didn't think I could hire. I only had an extra $300 a month, but now they got someone 250 bucks part-time working for them and taking a lot off their plate. And now they're starting to get more clientele because they're starting to focus on things that are way much higher value, like getting actual networking out there, getting the clientele through, uh, through the door, right? So, yeah. Okay. How did you, so as far as your personal story, where did I, how did you get the idea that, hey, I can go overseas, I can go to the Philippines, or maybe what, because sometimes you don't know, most of the time you don't know what you don't know. So what was the light that, uh, one, that you'd realize that, okay, I need help, and two, that's where I can find great help? Yeah, like for me, I was just doing a lot of social media marketing, right, at my agency, right, when I, um, my mentor at the time uh, told me like, hey, like come over here and um, start doing some social media for my business. And I was doing it for him and a bunch of other people. And I was getting extremely burnt out. I was finishing up at like midnight and then starting work again at 5 a.m. just to try to finish projects on time. And I told him like, I'm dying, man. And I don't really want to hire someone for like three grand a month. And he was like, you don't have to take your, your money offshore, man. Start, start buying, like getting labor out offshore. And so I was like, dang. And he showed me how to do it and how to like get everything I need to build an offshore team. And that was the biggest game changer for letting me scale up like I did. Now I have 15 employees, right? Um, and so with with that, um, I think it just opens a lot of doors up for people is just changing that mindset. And a lot of people are scared to going offshore because, oh, they're not going to know good English. Oh, they're not going to understand the culture. How am I going to make sure they're accountable? Look, the Philippines actually used to be a US colony. So they're pretty familiar with how the culture is. They got the same news as me and you. On top of that, they also have over 80% of their population speaking English fluently. Over 80%. 
right? They're actually recognized as one of the largest English speaking colonies in the world. My general manager basically runs the show at my agency. You would never know that she's not, that she lives in the Philippines. You can't hear her accent. A lot of them have accent neutral or accent neutral. So that's pretty powerful, especially if you want someone doing sales for you. That's why it's the number one BPO hiring spot in the world, right? You look at all the like TELUS, Rogers, whatever, all these phone providers, they all hire there, right? So that's where a lot of customer services. And on top of that, the Philippines has an issue right now where um, there is so that we have like in Canada here, we have a lot like very high old pop, older population and not enough younger people coming into the job market where it's flipped in the Philippines. There's too many young people there and not enough work to sustain them. So when you start looking for people in the Philippines, you're going to actually get hundreds and hundreds of applicants. And so that was just the biggest eye opener for me when my mentor showed me how to do this, told me what to do because half his team is in the Philippines and um, he has a huge, massive agency out in Seattle. And he actually just took half his staff, let him go, went to the Philippines and then boom, top line revenue increased. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Now I can see so many issues um, or maybe limited belief. I just put it that way. Uh, How do you deal with or how have you dealt with lack of trust? Not because they're overseas, but just because, you know, you don't, you, you're going to delegate some of different areas or something that you've been doing for a long time. How do you get over that hump that, okay, now I need to do it. I need to trust this person that I obviously don't know because they're new hire. Uh, how have you dealt with it? And how do you suggest others to deal with it as well? Beautiful question, man. Cause like, I tell everyone all the time, like, Aris, you need to have the courage to trust. If you don't have the courage to trust, how are you ever going to build a team? It doesn't even matter if they're offshore or not. You have to have the courage to trust that someone's going to do the job and care about it. And unfortunately, this is going to upset a lot of people. I see it quite opposite. I think local here in Canada, in the US, not a lot of people want to work. A lot of people don't want to work anymore. I think universal based income right around the corner if you want to go that way. (laughs) But I think we are seeing a workforce here in Canada and the US that does not care. They do not care. But if you take anyone, even like immigrants that coming in, they're going to work harder. They want it better. People offshore, they want it hard. They want it better. Why? Because the situations that they're in, it's harder. Right here, we get handouts. We don't know how blessed we are. We get handouts whenever we need it. Life is a lot easier compared to someone coming in from Mexico or someone in the Philippines, right? If we look over in the Philippines, like I said, there's not enough work there to support them. So when you give them a job, they're all in. They're all in. So how do you get past the trust then if they're harder working people? I said it. They are harder working people. How are we going to get past the trust? Put accountability systems in. A great system that I like to use is the combination of Slack, right? So you're communicating with your remote offshore team. And then you have something like GeekBot. GeekBot is a free tool. And all it does is it message, you can set it up for however many intervals you want, but it will message your staff, asking them, check in, telling you what they're doing. And then it goes back and it puts into a log and you can go check on anyone whenever you want. If you want to go about trust, 
In addition to this, if you're like, oh, my passwords and stuff, LastPass, there you go. Go share your passwords that way. It's not complicated. And it's just that people are scared to trust. They're scared to let go. They have a sense of control. I get it. It's your baby. And I get it. Hiring offshore might be a little foreign idea, the concept, but it's a new age, man. This is where we're at. Okay, beautiful. Thanks for sharing that, especially the the, the different tools to monitor. Uh, let's put it that way, monitor your, your team. I personally don't because I have a couple of VAs too, and I don't like using those tools. I rather trust Go. Maybe I'm just a positive guy by nature, or maybe naive. I have everyone look at it, but I rather say, "Hey, uh, I trust you to do what you got to do." Obviously, when we get started, give them small tasks, and it grows uh, incrementally. And and obviously, at some point, you know, if they, if they're not the right folks, they're probably going to leave or have to let them go. Another thing that's also good for anybody out there who's interested is the uh, compensation. Just make sure you put some money. You know, it's it may not be a lot to you. You know, ten bucks bonus, ten bucks. Or twenty, whatever may may probably makes a big difference to them. So just to add to what you were you were saying as well. Now, if yeah, we actually, can I elaborate? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's a great point. I actually tell everyone this when they join the academy. Like, pay your staff well, and if you pay them well, they're even more loyal and more dedicated to you. And then you're going to break that freelancer mindset. And why I'm calling it the freelancer mindset is because when you're working remotely, you're working offshore. There is that belief that I can have multiple jobs. We've seen it here where big like like operators like out in San Francisco are running multiple jobs. They don't even tell anyone about it and they're making millions of dollars. But like it's called the freelancer mindset. You got to break that. How? Just pay them really well, especially in like Philippines. They're just going to be all in that way. And what's well, I like to start my pay around $500, 500, 550 USD. That right there is very good. Why? Like I said, minimum wage is like 250, 270 bucks a month. I'm paying double that, right? And so that's a good starting point. Some of my staff, I pay like upwards of eight, 900 bucks a month. Then it's just game over. They're not going anywhere ever. And so to you, it might not be a lot of money, but for them it is. That was a good point. And then I would also encourage though, you said like, hey, you're, you're, you got like some trust for, um, your staff. Awesome. Love it. Me too. I would still encourage always have like end of day reports for anyone listening, like end of day reports, get them to submit something like what they've worked on, what challenges they're having, even in their personal life. So that way you can be proactive ra rather than reactive. So if you're seeing something coming up, you're seeing an attitude shift or something, you can get ahead of it. And, uh, I, and be strict about your end of day reports. Like for us, it's like, if you don't do your end of day reports, we immediately take 20 bucks off your paycheck for everyone that you don't do. Right. So it can add up. You can, at the end of the month, you might not have a paycheck if you just ignore them all. So that's great. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing this. Uh, this is actually important. I, I do the same, but what I do on top of that, I mean, I come from a tech tech space where we do like stand up. So every morning I bring the whole team together and we spend, you know, five to 15 minutes you know, talking about what have you done yesterday? What are you doing today? Any impediments that you have in your role? And then boom, everybody goes on and out there. And it gives it, it gives us a little bit of a, I don't want to say culture, but a togetherness, you know? Oh, you're right. It's culture. That's culture. Yeah. It. Exactly. So that's definitely great. Now, the other thing that I wanted to touch on, Trent, is the skill set. So we discussed the 
uh, trust and all that, but also the skill set. What skill set are good to be outsourced, if you will, and what are not? Or is it really everything can go as long as you find the right the right fit? What are your thoughts around that or your experiences around that? I tell this to everyone. At my agency, I will always try to hire offshore first. If it can be done online, it's going offshore. For example, we're currently hiring a financial director into our company. Not locally. Hell no. That's offshore. I want my P&L statements. I want projections. I want to know what our cash flow is like every single day. And I am not having someone locally do that. That's going to be all offshore. If it can be done offshore, I'm going it every single time. There's no reason why. Why hire locally, right? Why? Like when they don't care about doing a good job, they're just going to do just enough, just enough to get through. I would rather have someone come to me and be like, hi, sir. Hi, ma'am. What can I do more for you? What can I get done? Right? Is there anything left? Like, that's like, that's what I want to see. And you can't find that locally anymore. Okay. And so that's my belief. And that's why I go all in offshore every time, but some stuff you can't, right? So if it can be offshore, can be done online, go for it. Like, for example, I had someone go through my academy who's an accountant. They wanted to hire some other accountants <laughs> to help with more work. And they were interviewing people locally and people offshore. She didn't care about the price. She was like, Trent, either way, I'm hiring just the best. She was mind blown. Mind blown. Because the accountants in the Philippines were outperforming the Canadians. So everything and anything, all day, baby. I've seen it. I've lived it. I'm going offshore all day. So, All right, beautiful. Now let me play devil's advocate for a second. Can you tell me some horror stories? Because we have to be realistic. Some of the audience is going to be like, yeah, 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 I hear that. But I also want to hear the dark side of things just to make sure that we balance and we even. Because we're not trying to sell, hiring overseas. We just want to you know, talk about reality. Any horror, maybe not horror stories, but I have a couple that I share with you, but any stories that are now to the most. Okay. Yeah. So what tends to happen or what had happened is not a horror story. It's more so that they'll just disappear ghost me, right? So you basically have somebody, uh, it was a couple months ago. It was just basic stuff. Not really, not really something that required a PhD, anything like that. But the amount of work, the quality uh, not the quality, the quantity and the minutia of the job was kind of too high. So they didn't really, they did not, she did not really come, you know, forward and say, hey, this is way too much. She just goes to me. And I later find out through another person working on the same team that, you know, she was basically, I, I think she took it personal that, hey, this this job here or this task here, I can't really do them. And then, she, you know, sometimes you feel that you let your coworker team or whatever down, you don't, you don't bring it up. She just left. And quit. So it happened to me you know, once or twice to the point where I was like, um, is it me? Am I really too asking too much? Am I really, oh, my standards that high? But on the flip side, when you find the right person, man, you don't want to let her go. They let the person go. You don't want to let them go. So that's probably one of the things that I can think about. That's one. The other thing, again, I don't think it's a, it's a horror story. It's more so that it takes time. Like I have now, I have the mindset that if I'm going, and it's not really an overseas thing, it's more of a hiring thing in general. You have, I'm of the mindset that if I'm looking for somebody, the first, the second, the third one might not be the right one. It may be the fourth one. 
So I'm not expecting that, hey, as soon as I hire the first person, that I could take that off my list, boom, onto the next one. No, I always have to be on top of it, obviously train, obviously um, help them understand the business and all that, but uh, kind of change my mindset and more so my expectations. So those are the two stories if that I have, but nothing really, you know, crazy like that. How about yours? Unfortunately, man, I can't relate. Um, I've had pretty much the first hire I've ever had is still with me today. Um, and that's been four years with that person. And I can tell you this, I was blessed to have like another great mentor who has a background in psychology. Are you familiar with DISC? No, I'm not. So DISC is a personality assessment, similar to like Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs, yes. DISC is used in a lot of the Fortune 500 companies, right? They're all using personality assessed somewhere along their hiring process to find who's going to be the right person because you nailed it when you said it's just about finding that right person. You never want to let them go. So personality tests actually help you get that person and get more accurate to with your the correct hire, right? It's all about Jim, Jim Collins, right? Good to great. Get the right people on the bus. So with, um, with that said, using a tool like a personality assessment can help you make sure you're getting the right person for the job. Let me explain. Basically, there's four styles and then they all have traits. Now, I like to work with work styles rather than personality tests. You can look up work styles. There's a bunch of free ones. I even have my own. I can shout that out to you later, but um, it's a big tool that we use and it's less focused on the trauma, the education, your social circle. These are all components of the personal test, personality test. But there's one component of a personality test called your work style. And that is the one component that doesn't change because your personality changes every five to 10 years. And so why are we focused on all those other aspects of the personality test when we should just be looking at the work style because it's the one that doesn't change. And so I would say, if you want to use DISC, go ahead, but I would encourage you to look up work style tests instead. For example, you know, you hear, hey, you get intoxicated, you're a different person, right? But if you hate puzzles and then you get intoxicated, not only do you hate puzzles, you might even hate puzzles even more. So your personality doesn't change. Like your work style doesn't change that one component of a disc, uh, of a personality assessment. Now we leverage tools just like that to make sure we're finding the right people. Now here's the secret sauce of using a personality or work style test assessment when you're hiring. You should do it for yourself. You need to know what your personality or work style is. Why? Because you're the culture of your business. Your what you like and what how you communicate, your communication style, your leadership style, your fears, your motivations, that's really the culture of your business. And so if you hire someone based off of, hey, they have a really good resume. Oh, they, they've went to the best school. They've got a lot of experience, but they actually don't enjoy what they're doing. You bring them in, they're going to ghost you. They're going to quit. They're going to cost you thousands of dollars. Okay, so do you need to figure out what your disc and what your work style assessment is and hire people with a similar style to you because you're going to jive more and then hopefully you can also have someone that has a work style that's related to uh, the job that they're doing. So something technical, hopefully they have a tech, the technical style that's coming through that test. And so you can say, yeah, this person's going to be fit. 
like, let me elaborate even more. I was doing this as test with um, one of my friends. His name's Ben. We're out for dinner. And you're supposed to answer the questions as if you're in your ideal dream job situation. And he didn't. He wasn't paying attention. And he ordered them as what he was currently doing at his job. So when he did the assessment, I was so excited because everyone always like, oh, whenever they do their test, it's always like eight, nine, or 10. And he was like, yeah, this is a two. This is not me. On a scale of one to 10, it's not me. Um, and I'm like, wow, I've never heard that. And I was like, Ben, how did you answer these questions? And he's like, oh, I, I thought it's how I currently, what I currently do at work. I'm like, no, no, no. It's your dream job situation. I said, Ben, do you hate your job? He's like, yeah, I freaking hate my job. I'm going to actually quit soon. Ben went to UBC, a really prestigious school, great resume, tons of experience for HR, human resources. But yet every job he goes to, he quits and quits. It's not a fit for him. He quits and quits. Because his work style, I knew right away, because once you get familiar with him, you know them, you could see that he's not supposed to be a people person. He's not supposed to be working with people. His style is more, hey, I'm a goal setter. I'm a goal getter. I'm a, I'm a high achiever. He should be actually in some sort of realm of sales or something like that. And we talked about it. And now he's not even doing HR. He's actually doing sales and stuff now. And he's so much more happier. That's what I'm talking about. And if jobs, workplaces, entrepreneurs implement these tools, they can avoid hiring those people that look really good on paper but are not going to be a fit for your business. Because like I said, every time someone quits, you're going to lose thousands of dollars. Studies show that if someone quits, you lose immediately 20 to 200% of their annual revenue, depending on the position they are. General manager, you're going to lose 200% of whatever you're paying them annually. Someone low tier graphic designer or something, you're losing 20%, right? So if they were paying Ben $100,000 a year, the moment he quit, he just cost them $20,000. Right. And so it's expensive. So it's really about finding the best talent for the job based off the of personality work assessments. This is going to make sure you're like getting the right people. And so that's a big component to your hiring that I encourage, you know, everyone to do. And you're going to have less flaky people because they're going to be more fit for that job. You're going to know they're dialed in for it. And so forget about hiring off experience or skill, hire off work style fire off of attitude, everything else, it can be like it can be learned, right? It's so much easier to teach someone a skill than it is to change someone's attitude or work style. Like it's not going to happen. So absolutely. Absolutely. Now I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, as I was speaking, I was thinking of something that we need to touch and that's really important. And that's the complete in context and maybe a summary of our conversation around hiring is there's a couple of criteria in my mind that do impact a lot. The outcome or the output, which is finding the right person. You mentioned the, the personality, the work style. I'm also thinking where you get them from, because as you were speaking, I was thinking maybe where I got my uh, team members from was not the, I don't want to say the right place, but it was also an indicator that, you know, they may not last for long. So if you hire them from, I don't have a specific example, but that also plays a, 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 a lot. So find, where do you find the person? do the right test and make sure you, you know, have the setup in place as far as compensation, as far as the, the daily checkup, that kind of stuff. 
what else could you think about that could you share that basically will help reduce the risk, reduce the likelihood of the wrong feet or them sticking around? Yeah, great question. Like, number one, you should be communicating with your team and talking to every new hire at least once a day for like 30 minutes to an hour. Every single day you got to hire, talk to them, build, build a relationship. So many people just hire and say, hey, go do this work, figure it out, check in with me, whatever. No, you should be setting aside a new, like someone for the first 30 days, spending a half an hour, an hour. You're not just talking about work. You're also talking about, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Yeah, you up? Did you watch that that game? That's cool, awesome. Build some sort of relationship as well, right? People are going to get more attached and more like, "I got this. I'm in it. Play it." So I would say that for sure, and definitely just I would say you got to have a communication funnel in place. There's sometimes where my staff, like people that I haven't built the best relationship with, because I have so many employees, where they're scared of opening up when the CEO is around, right? They're scared to talk when the boss is around. So that's why it's really good to have a communication funnel in place where you have maybe a leader leading the team for you and then funnels information to you when needed. That way, you know, they can take care of those relationships and nurture your staff if they're feeling overworked or burnt out and they can bring those pains back to you, right? And so I would say these are things that people often don't have, right? People don't often have a communication funnel and they're just getting everyone talking to them, just destroying their headspace. I think meetings are a waste of time too. Like I try to eliminate as many meetings as possible. Like I would encourage like Loom videos, things like that. Those are really good. And just try to maybe have like, we do like we one weekly meeting that like with a big like town, like like more of a town hall style. That's it. Other than the new hires, that's that's how we go about it. So I would say these are things that are going to help clear your headspace, allow you to be more productive, and then also help you have an effective team for sure. Beautiful. Let me play out this scenario for you, man. Um, I could see a lot of my peers, you know, you have 50 or 100, 200 employees uh, or local or somewhat local. They love what you hear, what they're hearing from you. They want to try it out, but they want to test the waters. They don't want to fire the CFO. They want to fire the lead developer uh, to hire somebody from overseas. How? What is the best way, or what are one of the ways? I guess because it depends on situations. But what? How can they test test the waters without getting burned into that new world? So imagine somebody is kind of, uh, I don't want to say old school, but maybe stuck in their ways, but they really want to dive into and they feel attracted by this remote opportunity, essentially from a, a, a talent standpoint. Can, can yeah. you share some of the some ideas on, on how they can test it out really or what position, what kind of situation, what kind of setup? Well, first off, I'm going to say, don't fire CFO. Don't fire your elite developer. <laughs> Try not to fire anyone. Actually, I have a big like advocate for not firing, mm-hmm. especially if someone's been there for a while. They've shown that they're loyal, they're hardworking, they do your end-of-the-day reports, they're dialed in. There's no reason to get rid of someone just because you can pay someone a little less and they have a better resume. You keep loyal to your staff too, right? And if you have like winning people on your team, good job. You got a winner on your bus. Keep it up by all means. And it's quite expensive to lose someone. Remember what I said, someone quits, minimum 20% of their annual salary gone out of your pocket. 
And so um, I would say if you want to now start looking at your future hires being offshore remote, some places that you could look, some strategies that people use, you can go to online jobs. That's a great one. .ph, biggest hiring job site for online work in the Philippines. Um, another spot that you can go to, we use often is Indeed. You just target the Philippines. And then you can also go through platforms like Upwork, find out what their name is, friend request them on Facebook or to get a hold of them on WhatsApp, and then take them off Upwork and hire them privately. So these are ways that you can go about finding talent. Don't get like flustered thinking like, I got to hire from the right spot. There is no right spot. It's about having the best hiring process and being able to give them what they need and being able to like just be be the best kind of leader for them. That's going to really eliminate a lot of the troubles for you. So I would say those are some great spots to go hire from if you want to test it. But just remember, end of day reports, got to have them check in with a new hire at least 30 minutes every single day for the first 30 days. And then, yeah, just try to give them everything you need. They need to succeed. Don't just throw them into deep water and be like, figure it out, right? Try to have some solid SOPs that they can follow, things like that. Beautiful. Well, I think we're about to wrap up here, uh, Trent. Um, anything else that we should be covering or we missed or you wanted to touch on that I we haven't touched on? I mean, man, I could talk forever about this kind of stuff. And I love talking about... Um, a lot of bunch of stuff like client acquisitions. So I'd love to come back on your, your show sometime if you have me and talk about all those other fun stuff. But yeah, I mean, just go out there and try to build the best damn team you can because at the end of the day, business is leverage. And this is what Kevin O'Leary says. Business is leverage and leverage is just people. So just get good at managing people and you will succeed. Beautiful. Where can folks find out more about you? The I love your story. I'm sure they're going to love it. Can you share any of the details that you're comfortable sharing? Yeah. Uh, you can hit me up and follow me on Instagram at Trent Stonos. It's just my name. You can also find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Trent Stonos, my name again. And then my website is the remote. So remote CEOs, plural, dot academy. Thank you, my man. Appreciate your time. And we'll be in touch for sure. Hey, Aris, thank you so much, brother, and uh, thanks for having me. No problem.